Welcome to Public Safety Talk Radio, the podcast for all of our heroes of public safety, including law enforcement professionals, firefighters, EMTs, corrections officers, healthcare workers, and more. The show is produced by the POCUA and is founded upon its soundness initiative. This episode is sponsored by the finest service organization, a provider of line of duty death loan protection through many of our POCUA institutions. I am Ken Bader, your host for Public Safety Talk Radio. And yes, I have yet another great guest because we don't have bad guests. Yeah, if we did, this probably wouldn't be airing, but I have a great guest. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Her name is Allie Rothrock. She is the CEO of On the Job and Off. Uh, she's a speaker, author, educator, and advocate. She has delivered over 500 presentations nationwide, which is why we're really happy that she's on our little show. Allie has been a volunteer fire service uh, professional since 2005, and she's enjoyed more than a decade as a firefighter and emergency medical technician. So we're glad to have her. Allie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Well, so you're a firefighter, you're an EMT, you're an author, speaker, educator, advocate, partridge in a pear tree. Do you, do you have time to sleep or you just do this 24-7? I know. It's too much, right? Especially when someone says, so what do you do? I'm like, well, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do a lot of things. Uh, yes, running on the job and off is my more than full-time job as the CEO there. Constantly putting out new courses, constantly putting out new resources for the thousands of students that we have on there. Um, I haven't been able to speak like all of us as much, you know, this last year, hoping to get back to that in the fall. I really enjoy. Um, I've spoken in like every state all over the place. I love talking to different first responder disciplines in different areas to see, you know, what are the, the challenges of your job where you are like when I was in Georgia one time, I remember telling a story about firefighters in Minnesota uh, because all their hydrants were freezing in the winter. Mm -hmm. and the firefighters in Georgia were like, cannot relate. Don't know what you're talking about. It's always <laughs> hot down here. So I'm excited to get back in, in front of people in that context. I am also an author. Um, my first book, the cover is right there, Where Hope Lives. Um, I self-published that 10 years ago. And then I was so fortunate um, just this last, geez, in December, um, I was able to get a book contract for my second book, which is going to be coming out in 2022. I'm nice. also the executive director of a nonprofit called First Responders Care, um, educating first responders to take an active role in their community's resilience. I do a lot of things, but it all centers around first responders um, and helping us be more resilient overall. Awesome. Well, you know, this pandemic thing was probably good. You could take a rest because uh, where, where are you going to speak? You could still speak, but just not to like human beings. Sure. I mean, I did, <laughs> I did, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of webinars, but there's nothing like being in a room full of people being able to engage and interact in that way. But so grateful for the opportunity to do this, you know, we could stay connected in those small ways. Uh, but yeah, there's nothing like being with people in real life. I'm so excited to get back to that. Yeah, yeah. The the, the stupid jokes that I tell work so much better in, <laughs> yeah. with, with a live in-person audience sure. than they ever do via webinar or via Zoom. Yep, I know the feeling. <laughs> 
But, well, let's talk first about uh, On the Job and Off, uh, which is dedicated to building more resilient first responders. Tell us more about that and, and what does a more resilient first responder even look like? Absolutely, yeah. So I founded On the Job and Off in 2018, but I think On the Job and Off really started, the idea for it started in November of 2005 when I ran my very first fire call. So 13 years prior to ever having the idea for this, my very first fire call as a 16 year old junior firefighter, I didn't know CPR, I didn't know anything about anything, was a double fatal car accident with a five year old and her infant baby brother. And I was so sure that as soon as we got back to the firehouse, someone would pull me aside and say, okay, Here's what we do after things like this. Here's how we process. Here's how we think about these things. But that never happened. Mm -hmm. And I saw the lack of care, the lack of resources, the lack of acknowledgement that was available for us after a call like that and continue to see that through, you know, the next decade of running calls where so often they weren't even acknowledged. And so I started to, to share my story of difficult experiences that I had in my early fire service years. And I was speaking on stages all across to different, you know, fire conferences and chiefs associations and was talking about first responders, mental health. And it got to the point in 2018 where I just couldn't keep up with the speaking request anymore. I couldn't be, you know, in Texas and Alabama at the same time. Um, yeah. And also I didn't want to be in a different state every single day. Um, so that's a great problem to have. You know, the demand for sure. what you're doing is there. <laughs> but it wasn't sustainable the way that it was. And so I decided to put um, the kind of like basic mental health awareness course that I was teaching online. Um, that was called Capturing the Load. And it's still our flagship course to this day. We put that up. We had a thousand first responders that we had people in every single state take the course. And I basically said, is this working? Is yeah. it changing the conversation at all? Is it changing your um, ability to talk about these hard things like mental health? Or are you more willing to, to get help when you need it or talk to your coworkers? And what we learned was that it was working. And so we asked those first 1,000 people, what else can we do? What else do you want us to talk about? And so that was in like the fall of 2018. And our course menu and our reach has just grown and grown and grown and grown. Um, on the job and off today has thousands of students in all 50 states and Canada. We serve first responders on military bases through our work with the Department of Defense. And we are just growing, growing, growing to build a more resilient fire service overall, emergency service overall. Mm -hmm. And to answer your second question, what does a resilient first responder look sure. like? That's a great question. Because we throw <laughs> well, that's around. Why that. I asked it. Yeah. You know, every once right. in a while is an interview sure. where you get a good one. There's, there's one question that actually is worth answering. I guess sure. that's the my one for today. <laughs> but we, we throw that word around a lot, right? Resilience. Yeah. And it, it's a good word. It's a good thing um, to be talking about. But I think sometimes people are like, what does that mean? Does that mean that I never struggle? Does that mean that I never have a bad call? Does, you know, no, that's not what it means at all. It means that when you um, find yourself maybe struggling after a call or a coworker is struggling after a call, or you feel like your home life is impacted by the trauma exposure that you have at work or the lack of sleep or, or all of those things, it means that that feeling isn't the place where you stop. It means that that feeling of being overwhelmed or burnout out or affected isn't the place where you just stay. It means that you know, my goal is for first responders everywhere to have 
easily accessible, highly effective mental health education. And that's what I believe we've created with On The Job and Off because you can watch me talk to you on your phone. You don't have to be sitting in front of me. You know, you can come back from a bad call at three o'clock in the morning and watch our course called Had A Bad Call, which I created to fill the gap that I saw all those years ago on my very first call. And so being more resilient overall to me means not getting stuck in that place of struggle, knowing that there are resources, knowing that tomorrow is going to be better, knowing that there are people who have struggled and gotten all the way down to a rock bottom and have found a way to, you know, believe that life can be good again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that approach. And when you were speaking about your experience in 2005, I was thinking myself in, in working with law enforcement over the last 20 years that yeah, in 2005, it might've been just like, well, you know, get over it, you know, get used to the job. Whereas today, at least to me as a civilian, I've never been a first responder. It seems as though there's a little bit more acceptance and understanding to all right you know you just dealt with something heavy let's let's have some understanding about what you're dealing with or or am i completely off base there is it still no suck it up (laughs) it it depends i think it is absolutely better than it was and i know that because you know 10 years ago conferences that i would submit to speak about first responders mental health wouldn't even have me speak in like a little room off to the side. Those conferences now in the last couple of years are having me keynote the whole conference. And so just that shows the willingness that people are, are, are willing to give to this topic. And so it is absolutely better. And we have made such strides in the last 15, 16 years, but there are also fire departments who still have the suck it up. If you struggle after a call, there's a door. We don't want you here. I talk to those firefighters every single day and they ask yeah. me how help me educate my chief so they can know better and do better because they're stuck in that 20 years ago yeah. where we didn't talk about anything. So it's absolutely better. The existence of on the job and off is proof of that, but we still have so much further to go. Now a word from our sponsor, the police officers credit union association. Coming this October 2021 is the Public Safety Business Summit in Savannah, Georgia, a program specifically created for organizations that serve first responders. What you will experience is a high level of networking and collaboration among like-minded leaders who are in the business of serving first responders. What you won't get are a series of boring lectures with no interactivity, ridiculous golf outings that are only appealing to a few attendees, or a couple of retreaded subjects that you can hear at any credit union league event that are just thrown into the curriculum. We offer an engaging agenda where attendees even help to determine the content during the actual conference based on their unique needs. If you run a business, a credit union, or a nonprofit that specifically serves first responders, then the Public Safety Business Summit is for you. For more information, go to www.policecreditunions.com or call 331-300-9889. We hope to see you in Savannah this fall. What I really like about your program, there's nothing I dislike about your program, but (laughs) particularly what I really like about your program and what I just heard is that you, you had a bad call 
and you know now you're at home at three in the morning you know you can you can pull up the course on right. a tablet or a laptop or what have you i think of exactly. some of these programs like uh serve and protect and the number code nine project i believe too where you could call somebody anonymously you know sometimes you know you don't necessarily need a a therapist or a counselor oh, yeah. for the next Absolutely 10 years not. you just you just need something sure. <laughs> and that's and so, and that's yeah. something yeah yeah so much of the work that i do is not therapy it's yeah. not counseling it's just simply validating that what that person is feeling is normal yeah. because when we don't talk about how we feel after a really significant call every single person thinks that they are the only one affected yeah and just being willing to, you know, have someone tell me what they're experiencing. Like I'll have a first responder message me and say, I ran a really bad call yesterday. I had a nightmare last night about it. I have PTSD. It's like, no, you don't, yeah. you know, good news. No, you don't. You have post-traumatic stress symptoms that most of the time for most people go away. And so just that simple education piece. And that's why I'm so passionate about the work that I do is because simply providing that education gives people so it empowers them so much more to know, okay, this is, this is normal. It's expected. It's probably going to go away. Here's how I can help my body process. Mm -hmm. Here's when to know that maybe I want to talk to somebody, but for most people, most of the time, you're right. It doesn't progress at that point. And so just providing that education I found is like 90% of the 90% of the work that needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. Great points. Well, speaking of education, let's, let's talk about your book a little bit where hope lives, which I understand is, is not only a memoir, but also a lesson plan. Um, don't quite have being an author myself. I don't quite understand how it can be both, but I'm sure you're going to explain it to me. Yeah, I didn't either. That was, that was not something I ever foresaw for that book at all. What happened was um, I wrote it. I self-published it in 2010. Um, a woman who works at a high school um, in Pennsylvania, her whole job at that high school was to get kids to read. And she had a group of 28 boys and two girls in a class and her whole job was to get those kids to read one book. And most of those kids, they're in 11th and 12th grade in high school, mm -hmm. had never read a book before. Mm -hmm. They had never read a book before because their home life didn't allow them the safety and the quiet to read ever. And so, so, so they literally had not read like a chapter book before. And she found my book because I did like a little book club meeting in her area and thought this is really real life. It talks about really hard things. These kids need to read a book written by someone who has also experienced some hard things. And she just felt like maybe they could really relate to it. And so she, um, you know, asked for a bunch of copies, put the kids through it. And um, she wrote a couple activities around, you know, themes in the book. Um, and it was about a three month period where the kids were reading it. And when they finished the book, they said, no, no, we want to keep we want to do projects with this book for the whole rest of the school year. And so she called me and she's like, we got to put something together for these kids. It's reaching them in a way I didn't know that a book could. And so I went out to the, to the school a couple of times and met with the kids and talked with them. And so together her and I developed 
um, a, a, I think it was a nine month lesson plan uh, around the different chapters in the book. So, wow. I mean, it was her leading it. She's the one who, you know, knew how to wrote a write a lesson plan and had the kids. Um, but yeah, that was a really incredible experience. And one, uh, I never, I never saw that coming, you know, when I wrote that book. Wow. Yeah. So what, what did you learn from that experience, especially given the fact that I, I hear there's another book coming out? <laughs> yes, another book coming out uh, in 2022 that I'm actively working on uh, the edits with my editor right now. They're due June 1st, so my deadline is rapidly approaching. Um, what's so we're, we're, we're keeping you from it. That's okay. No, I do my editing at the very beginning of the day. So we're good. I'm done for the day. With that first cup of coffee. But That's ahead. exactly right. As soon as the coffee kicks in, I'm editing. Uh, what did I learn from that experience? I think I learned from those kids that there are some experiences or some feelings that are pretty universal. So as I say now, you know, trauma is trauma is trauma. Mm -hmm. How we got it is different. The experiences are different, the details are different, but the way that our body holds it and needs to release it can be seen like really similar. And from those kids, you know, I grew up in a house where I was safe and had all of my needs met. And those kids grew up in the exact opposite situation, yet themes like um, forgiveness and belief in ourselves and self-definition, these themes were really universal for all of us that were a part of experiencing that, that lesson plan. So I think that's what I learned from them is that even though your, your background is different, your home life is different, your goals are different, uh, we all kind of experience some of, of life's difficulties and feel it really similarly. Yeah, yeah, great point. I, I see this as an, as an outsider is, through whether it's a EMT, police officer, corrections officer, uh, firefighter, even emergency room uh, professionals. Yeah, hospital yeah, that, staff. That they, that they have this trauma or PTSD or PTSI or whatever you want to call it. I'm, I'm not a therapist. Um, but however they got to that point, they all got to that point from seeing or experiencing something that just normal people don't experience. Right. Yeah. And that's not to dismiss everyone's unique stories or their, right. their unique past. That's just to say that, um, you know, what's effective for one person can be effective for another person in terms of processing. And, you know, PTSD or PTSI, that's a really specific mental right. health disorder that n not everybody has, even though it's talked about in the emergency services sometimes as though everyone has it or is going to end up having it. But I think just normalizing talking about things like feeling really burnt out or feeling like that one call that felt more personal than right. the other one did, or, you know, home life is stressful. So work is more stressful. Those things are also the things that affect us, you know, similar to the similar degree of something like trauma. So yeah. I'm just a big fan of like normalizing all of those different things. Cause it's when we pretend that we're fine and we push through and, and just put on that mask of like, everything's great. That's when we could have some, you know, bad consequences. Uh, and two, it's not only or exclusive to, we had this horrible call where, you know, 18 people died. And now mm -hmm. I've got to deal with it. Sometimes it's 18 years of working in that same profession 
of seeing the same thing over and over or similar things over and over that that yeah. give you that so-called cumulative trauma. That's exactly uh, it. That's exactly what I was going to say. And I talk about it like drops in a bucket where for 18 years, it's those little traumas, like little T traumas, just drops in a bucket yeah. and you're collecting them and your bucket's not overflowing. And, and then on, you know, your 18th year, all of a sudden, yeah. it's one drop too many. And you might think nothing big happened, nothing really bad happened, but it's just that accumulation caught up with you. And for whatever reason, you know, our buckets can be filling up, but if we have positive coping skills to empty that bucket, then right. it won't overflow. And so, yeah, that, that cumulative uh, stress accumulating isn't inevitable, but it does for so many of us because we aren't taught how to talk about these things or what to do about yeah. them. Can't you just go to Home Depot and buy a bigger bucket? I have heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. and, here, and here I thought I was clever. Nah, I've heard that before. I mean, I guess you could, <laughs> but it'll probably just be a bigger mess when that one overflows eventually. <laughs> good point. Good point. No more joking with you because you've heard it all before. <laughs> <laughs> now a word from one of the POCUA's proud business partners, OfficerPrivacy.com. OfficerPrivacy.com was founded by Pete James, a law enforcement professional with over 25 years of experience. Pete wanted to find a way to help law enforcement officers protect themselves and their families. So he formed a team to create a way to quickly identify and remove their information from certain sites. Officerprivacy.com is the result. This service is already offered through a select few of our POCUA organizations. As a listener of Public Safety Talk Radio, you can take advantage of a special offer from Officerprivacy.com. Go to officerprivacy.com slash POCUA, and when you sign up, you'll get two additional bonuses. In addition to removing your personal information from the top 30 people search sites, they will give you your first two months of monitoring free. This is a value of $39.98. In addition to that, you'll receive a cell phone privacy device, a $19.99 value. This prevents data from leaving your cell phone when you use public charging stations and is a must when traveling. So go to officerprivacy.com slash POCUA today to take advantage of this offer and to protect your privacy. Organizations who are members of the POCUA and are interested in offering the service directly to their members, contact us at POCUA at btcinc.org. Speaking of trauma or those bad calls, is do you see any difference from the first responders that you talk to, whether it's a firefighter or a police officer or maybe a uh, public safety professional in a large city like New York compared to a, a small locale like uh, Ada, Oklahoma or something like Do you see any differences in that or does it all generally come back to the same place? The only thing, like people assume that like maybe a more rural rural area wouldn't be as progressive and like a big city would have more resources. There's nothing like that that's like a clear delineation. It's really has to do with culture. It has yeah. to do with the culture. And that's usually set by the leadership. Although sometimes if the 
the power in numbers is enough. It can yeah. supersede what the leadership, uh, you know, feels. People can create a culture under themselves, but it really has to do with the culture. Uh, and sometimes it's just a few individuals deciding, like when we get back to the station after a bad call and they, they determine what bad is, we're gonna stand around for five minutes and we're just gonna talk about like what we notice, like do a mini debriefing. Like, what did you see? What did you hear? What did you smell? What did you notice? And just that begins the the processing that our brain is going to try to do anyway. And that creates a culture where if you and I were in that group of, of first responders kind of reflecting on what had just happened, if if a few days go by and I'm still feeling really affected by that, I'm going to be more likely to go tell one of you in that circle because we already had that relationship right. established of we're going to talk about these things. So that's what makes the difference. It's not location. It's not training budgets. It's not anything like that. It's the culture. So in essence, kind of that acceptance of let's not just push this out and say, say, Hey, the chili's getting cold in the firehouse. We got to get that's the dinner. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So yeah, not, not to boil it down into a couple of phrases, but yeah, is there is there one number one tip for first responders out there when it comes to resilience? Is it just you know simply acknowledging how you feel, talking to somebody, or is it something else? Is there one number one tip out there for first responders? I think the biggest misconception about resilience is that it's somehow like the ability to be resilient. Some people have it, some people don't, some people can, some, like that's not it at all. Resilience is an active process. It's a skill that we learn how to do like any other skill we have ever learned how to do, whether that's firefighting, whether that's emergency dispatching, whatever. Being resilient is a skill. It is an active process that we have to get better at over time. And so if it's like one tip that I could say, it would be to figure out what taking an active part in your own resilience looks like. Does that look like if you're a volunteer first responder, uh, one weekend in the month, you shut your pager off. Mm -hmm. So your brain gets that rest from, cause I know in the times in my life when I had a pager, anything that made a noise, I thought it was my pager about to go. And so I'm ready for that adrenaline rush at any second. And that's exhausting to our bodies and to our minds. So figuring out what that, what that like rest uh, looks like. Is it turning your page off? Is it deciding I'm not going to take that fifth overtime shift I was offered because I don't need it and I would probably do well with some, you know, home time? Um, is, it, is it putting exercise into your life? Is it prioritizing sleep? Is it telling your spouse hey, when I get home from work tonight, I could really just use an hour of quiet or I'm going to take a drive before I get home tonight because I just like we had a bad call and I just need to give myself some downtime. All of that stuff is active resilience. All of that stuff is allowing us to feel whatever feelings we're feeling, burnt out, uh, post-traumatic stress symptoms, but it's giving our bodies and brains the space for that to not be the place that we're stuck. So it would be understanding that resilience is an active process that we have to participate in. It's not something that just happens. We have to look at our lives and our negative coping skills and our positive coping skills and our stressors and our moments of comfort and figure out how can we create a, a mixture of all of those things that's going to create uh, 
a, a deeper ability for us to not get stuck in a tough mental place. Interesting. Well, the most important question that I have for you is, are there still pagers out there? <laughs> I thought I thought those suckers went away like in the 90s. Oh, yeah. They, they, people, oh, yeah. People still, other than drug dealers, walk around with pagers? When I started in 2005, <laughs> that's all we had. Um, there are absolutely still pagers, 100%. I mean, most things come through on your phone now. Yeah. But I know some people that, um, you know, their their phone missed a call once and so they don't trust their phone all the time so they're going to carry the pager always oh yeah people carry pages all the time huh. oh yeah. well see i learned something new today yeah yeah and oh, i yeah. learned about pagers yep. it's still <laughs> well, very much a thing well i i learned a lot more from you other than that there's are still pagers out there yeah. uh so, so let's let's get to the the real important question uh which is how can our audience find you out there if they uh want to you know learn more about on the job and off and resilience and all the stuff that you have and pre-order 87 copies of your new book that isn't <laughs> even out there how can they find an alley rothrock out there <laughs> sure well the easiest place if you want to learn more about on the job and off if any of the courses i talked about you're like that would probably be helpful for me to take uh, any more information on that just go to onthejobandoff.com um, it's i'm really easy easily accessible on that website you can also look at courses and the different membership options that we have so that's first and foremost um, and i'm i'm all over social media at ali rothrock so i'm on linkedin i'm on facebook i'm on instagram i'm on twitter um, but yeah i would say on the job and off is the first place if you have any questions that you want to ask me about on the job and off or anything. My email is Ali, A-L-I at on the job and .com. Awesome. And we will definitely put that in the show notes. Ali, thank you so much for taking some time with us today. Thank you. This was fun. Thanks again. <laughs> we try to make it fun. It is <laughs> all my pleasure. Great having you. And thank you to all of you who have either watched or listened to this episode of Public Safety Talk Radio. And we will be back with you next week with another great guest. Public Safety Talk Radio is produced by the POCUA. POCUA is a consortium of financial institutions serving law enforcement as well as other first responders and public safety professionals. To learn more about our association and to find one of our credit unions or service providers near you, go to www.policecreditunions.com. And always remember, if you aren't working with one of our POCUA credit unions, you're just banking with an institution that just so happens to serve first responders. As a public safety professional, you and your family deserve better. Find a POCUA credit union today.